It's time for Dr. Rademacher's Prescription for Transformation. Let's tap into your own authentic genius and live the life you desire. Join Dr. Rademacher for an enlightened conversation about our brain intelligence, our body intelligence, and our energy intelligence. And now, here's your host, Dr. Bart Rademacher. I'm Dr. Bart Rademacher, and this is Prescription for Your Transformation. Real people, real conversations, and real success. And one of the primary goals that I have for this series is really tapping into that collective wisdom to create the space for generative collaboration. Essentially what that means is, is finding these brilliant people all over the globe and really tapping into their intelligence and their genius, their experiences, their magic, their stories, their solutions. Because truly, you know, life is, is just a collection of problems that we have to solve and no way, no way better to do that than getting your friends to help you out. And so in, in essence, this is what this is all about, helping you find out what it is that you need to know so that you can overcome the particular challenges that you have in your life. And so I'm super excited today because this is an area that I'm not really that familiar with. And I think most people just have a misconception of money. You know, people think money is a real thing when it actually is not. It's a concept. It's a construct. It's man-made. But so much of us look at this as the real thing. And now it's going to a whole different dimension into the digital world, into cryptocurrency. Like, okay, what is that really? How does it work? And I know that a lot of people have a lot of misunderstandings in, to, in respect to that. Don't, don't know what it's really all about. There's a lot of fear around this and a lot of confusion and potentially conspiracy. Who knows? So love the fact that I'm connecting uh, with Erin Grover, a dear, dear friend of mine. She's been in the digital world for quite some time. But here's what's really interesting. She has a different dimension to her life that really balances out what it is that she do, does in the digital world. And I'm going to have her explain that, what that is. Erin, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I'm excited to, to be here. <laughs> so share with me this, you know, because we're going to talk about cryptocurrency, how it actually works, how it actually started, you know, how people can get involved in the magnificent work that you're doing in this field. But I'd like to start yeah. off with something that we are talking about before this interview is money. Where does it actually come from? Because, you know, it's, it's a construct. Yes, and this is the thing that I really like to talk about because so many people forget that. Um, so, you know, pretty much for me, money is just, um, it's a physical object that represents an exchange of energy. So, um, you know, the only reason people thought gold was worth anything is because they believed it was worth something. <laughs> right. And. Uh, what's funny right now is that there's a there's a video from Business Insider that came a number uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, I'll, I'll send it to you later. But they were walking around uh, Manhattan back in 2017, um, offering either a brick of gold or um, Bitcoin in exchange for services, and most people went for the Bitcoin. So most people at that time believed that Bitcoin was more valuable than gold, and they couldn't care less about the gold. What are they going to do with the gold brick? <laughs> right. Wow. So, 
So yeah, I mean, we, you know, we forget that money starts somewhere, but you know, people like in, you know, thousands of years ago were using things like cowrie shells and copper um, to, to represent the exchange of energy. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's fascinating. And so Bitcoin, by the way, um, was the first cryptocurrency in the world, which makes sense because we're in a digital world now. Um, and it started in 2008 uh, when the stock markets crashed with the housing crisis, which is uh, very symbolic for me. <laughs> in, in, what, in what way? Well, um, because of what went on in Wall Street, um, and the, the kind of shady deals that went down that, that screwed the world over right. economically. Um, Bitcoin was really created um, as a, a response, maybe not a response, but like defiance to that because the way Bitcoin is created, it, it lives on a technology called the blockchain. And the blockchain, I like to say, is the concept of many witnesses to every financial transaction. So if you buy a coffee for me on the blockchain, um, there are thousands of computers around the world that hold the the record or the ledger of the blockchain. Right. And on, on the ledger, you can see every transaction ever for cryptocurrency. Um, so uh, all those thousands of computers all have to be in agreement that I gave you $2 for the coffee. Right. Whatever amount of Bitcoin. Um, and and if there's like a like an attempt at like uh, a faulty transaction, the computers will will pick that up. They won't let the transaction happen. So um yeah, so it's like it, what's really cool too is that like Bitcoin has a finite amount. So you can't really have inflation with something that's finite and that, you know, and that was another part of creating Bitcoin because of um, exhaustion of uh, countries like so, so was this basically a consortium of people coming together and deciding, hey, let's do this or what? Um, it's either one person um, named Satoshi Nakamoto who went into hiding or it was a group of people because he or they were obvious, obviously new, like, what would happen with this and here right. we are 10 years later um and i mean i wouldn't want to be known for creating bitcoin because i might get killed right. obviously so are they still in hiding um nobody really knows it's, it's yeah it's the one of the greatest mysteries, mysteries of, of all time world. wow okay i don't ever know so 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 how do, so how does cryptocurrency then work? So so basically you're saying that you know you have thousands of computers monitoring every transaction, and so if if I want to get into this, you know where do we start? How do we start? So there are a number of places to buy it now, um, depending on where you live in the world. The biggest place to buy Bitcoin in the world is Coinbase.com, and. Uh, uh, you know, you have smaller exchanges like Binance is a is a big one. It's another big exchange out of Asia, uh, but but I like Coinbase for people who've never bought it before because it's kind of like the PayPal of of crypto. It's very easy and friendly to get on and 
and purchase where like, you know, I wouldn't recommend that my mom buys Bitcoin on Binance because Binance is more of a trading site and right. very confusing for a lot of people. So so we can use it in one of two ways then, more, more as the convenience as far as transactions are concerned and the other way is, is for investment. Would that be correct? Yeah, and it's really cool because um, for the past couple of years and especially now, there are like a... Uh, kind of debit cards by like Visa and MasterCard coming out where you can spend your Bitcoin directly so I can go to the store and pay for food with my Bitcoin card from Visa um, and even the Cash App which is one of the biggest you know um, transaction apps in America now there's an option for Bitcoin too they added the Bitcoin option in um, Apple is adding in a, a crypto option as well it's just like it's such a no-brainer I mean it's been a no-brainer for me for years but like when you have Apple adding on a crypto function to Apple Wallet, you know you need to pay attention, and right. you should have some if you can, if you can get it. So, well, let's go back uh, a moment and and have have people understand really, you know, the the meaning behind all this because in two thousand and eight with the crash, and so the this was in essence a response to um, let's call it the the fraudulent you know manipulation you know of the 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 markets and this is in essence um a way to get away from that manipulation is that correct mm -hmm. so yeah explain to us your, your thoughts on that i mean your perspective on that and why that's this is so important um well i mean it's Transparency um, with banking and governments uh, is is needed, and that's a, a big part of the problem in the world right now, um, and has been for a while. So, um, I mean, I guess beyond the banks, and the banks do make a lot of money on financial transactions, right? So, taking it into something a bit more granular, like there's um there's a cryptocurrency called ripple it's one of the top currencies and ripple can they can use it you see with cryptocurrency a lot of them are actually software platforms and currency which is a new concept in the world right so um ripple for example is is a currency but it's also a platform to use that's used to send money really fast and it can send um, millions and millions of dollars within eight minutes. Now, what happens is Ripple takes out the middlemen in the banking process, like the people who have to um, make sure that the right amount's being sent, like all that stuff that, like when you, in America, when you send money with the SWIFT system from one country to another, it takes a lot of time and it's expensive. It's like right. you send like two grand and it's like a hundred dollars to send two grand. Right. With Ripple, um, you know, like the cost to send millions of dollars worth of the currency is like, you know, it can cost like one to five dollars. <laughs> and it's the much. same denomination too, anyhow. So it's not like you have yeah. to make any exchange. And, and the, the technology, the blockchain technology takes place of the people in between that's right. verifying that the amount is what it is. So, I, I mean, it's massive, like the banking industry uh, spends like billions, billions every year 
on the, the checking of, of funds and transfers. You, you, they go back and forth between the banks. It's like right. this manual process. And it's like, why the heck is that still happening? So yeah, I mean, it's scary for banks, um, but at the same time, and this is why like Santander is a bank here in Europe and they um, started to use Ripple like all oh, like five or six years ago. So the banks, there are banks that get it um, and people will lose their jobs, but um, you know, they'll be freed up for other things, I, I believe over time. Uh, but then uh, I guess what I'm excited about with the, it's it's decentralized money, right? Right, right. Um, and it's hard for regulators around the world to figure out how to regulate it. Like if they right. really can't at the end of the day. Um, <clears throat> so um, there's another, the number two top, cryptocurrency is Ethereum and Ethereum again is a software platform but on Ethereum you can create something called a smart contract which is a contract with certain rules depending on the business agreement or a legal agreement of any kind um, and you can't go and change the agreement there's there's no possible way once it's locked in the whole like thousands of computers around the world would reject any attempt to go and manipulate the contract, which is going back to one of the problems of 2008, where people had mortgages with contracts and all of a sudden another company would come in and buy out the mortgages, like dealing with culture funds and all that. And then all of a sudden, like somebody doesn't know where the real contract is anymore because it disappeared like five times over because right. of the con continuous selling of mortgage mortgage contracts <clears throat> for mortgages itself. So, so with the blockchain, you can also have this smart contract so that you know that contract's always going to be there and no one will be able to change it. There's there's no way you can change it with the technology. So, so are you telling me that, you know, with these, you know, mortgage contracts that were put out there and then they were sold to other companies that the contracts actually changed without the person knowing it? Yeah, that was a big problem. Wow. That was a big, but don't you have yeah. to sign, sign a contract to make it legal? <laughs> uh, yeah, you do. But, uh, you know, obviously people didn't care back then and they thought they could get away with anything. And they wow. pretty much did. You know, and it's like where do you, where do you begin and you know people who have mortgages and they don't have a lot of extra money can't just go get a lawyer and take right take the science on so i like this idea of uh, decentralization so it's basically as you put it you know putting the the power back into the hands of the owner and yeah. and you've got full transparency and so so just so I can, you know, get my head around this one, this whole blockchain. So you're telling me that there's computers all over the world. I mean, where are they housed? I mean, are they housed in, in sort of like banks or different types of institutions? And, and how do they communicate? So um, the blockchain, um, oh, I want to get back to the banking piece with Munpot. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. well, let me just say that people have to remember that banks didn't always exist. Right. That's really important. Some people got together and thought it'd be a good idea to hold on to people's money and charge them for it. So, like, people 
really the kind of pioneers and diehard believers in crypto and blockchain want to go back like we believe in going back to that time where like my money is my money <laughs> like, right you know like i can hold on to it you know without you charging me money for my money anyway so <clears throat> um so getting back to the other um question of sorry the um so how how you know all these computers all over the world where where are they housed and 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 how how are they communicating? Okay, so um pretty much um they're kind of these um these kind of high powered computers. And I can send you a photo um, because uh, my friend is a I have a friend who holds the Bitcoin on he. He's a miner and he creates the Bitcoin with his supercomputer. Okay. So that's the blockchain, this worldwide ledger that allows these financial transactions to happen originally started with people who were mining the Bitcoin. So back when first Bitcoin first came out and is worth like pennies, um, people who believed in it, like a much smaller group of people 10 years ago, they could hold the code on their computer for the ledger and create the Bitcoin. Okay. And they get rewards for creating the Bitcoin. So back in the day, anybody who was mining Bitcoin is, a lot of them are now much wealthier um, because they were rewarded Bitcoin for creating it. And you still get rewarded um, crypto for creating crypto. It's, um, it's like a, you have to be like uh, a developer to, and, and someone who's an IT to, to really set it up. But my friend had like a whole Bitcoin computer, just a computer dedicated to making Bitcoin in his garage. Um, and it doesn't, um, here's the thing, like it doesn't, it takes energy to create it, but it doesn't take as much energy as the media tried to portray. So back in 2017, um, the media was coming out with all these stories like paid placement, banking manipulation, like I know very well because I know a lot of people behind the scenes and the, the banks were very afraid of Bitcoin in 2017 and like got um, journalists to write stories that they really knew nothing about. But one of like the scare stories um, to um, convince people not to buy it was that uh, Bitcoin's bad for the environment. Um, it does take energy um, to build, uh, to create it on these computers, but um, it doesn't take as much energy as fiat as far as, as, you know, dollars, euros, because, you know, you have to have banks that house the money, you have to have security, and the printing of money is super dirty with the chemicals, like there's all this like really toxic energy um, behind, behind regular money. But the thing about Bitcoin is that because it's finite, like it only takes so much energy and everything will be created. I mean, Bitcoin's there's still more Bitcoin to create. And I think within within a couple of years, it'll be done and that'll that'll be it. And then the value of Bitcoin will go up even more. Um, but <clears throat> um, getting back to the, the blockchain and like or Bitcoin and where it's made. So all these kind of nerdy people <laughs> making miners at home, I mean, there's, they're now like companies that are like properly kind of making it under a business structure, but uh, these people who are at home who are making the Bitcoin, um, 
they hold a copy, like a real-time copy of this worldwide ledger. And it's, it's all, it's all connected. There's no segregation. There's no silos. It's like having this ball <laughs> right? and they're all plugging into it from different entry points around the world. If that makes sense. Yeah. So how, how do you buy Bitcoin? I mean, do you just, is it a cash transfer? Yeah, you can buy Bitcoin with um, dollars, euros, pounds. Is that how it started, though? I mean, is that how they made Bitcoin? So basically, they just, you know, went around asking for investors and this, you know, risky um, concept that people didn't understand way back when. Is that that sort of how it may have been portrayed? Yeah, and they didn't necessarily. It's it's interesting because it's not like they had a couple of invest like VCs come in and put money into it. Pretty much happened. What happened was it was kind of like the underground kind of anarchist movement of like it was just a bunch of nerdy people that just start buying it, like nerdy anarchists. Like, like small, like, probably like small amounts, like a thousand dollars here, yeah. or, you know, five hundred dollars there, or ten thousand here, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, so people just really believed in it, and eventually, here we are 10 years later, and enough people believe in it that Bitcoin's now worth about $10,000. So, in 10 years, like, I know it'll be worth much more um, with everything that's happening. Um, I mean, you know, it's like, even, even like, Fidelity, for example, um, they're, they're opening up to trading cryptocurrency. It's, yeah, it's crazy. So, um... You know, the people who started out in the early days, like a lot of them are very wealthy. Like there's a lot of new wealth in the world just because of Bitcoin. Because of Bitcoin, right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that, that's, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, my focus has always been in, in my profession and as, as what I do as a plastic and reconstructive surgeon, you know, as a thought leader, as a coach, you know, and, and that's why I had things like these, these things as well, these, uh, these podcasts. You know, one part of my life that I didn't give enough attention to was was the finances and, you know, the financial sector. And so I never really, you know, and and I got my my hands burned many years ago when I tried to do some investments. But, you know, I didn't have the right psychology, the right mindset and the right tools. And so I, I lost a significant amount of money that way because I trusted people. And so... You know, looking at these new concepts, you know, I mean, this was a, a far-fetched concept for me. I mean, let alone, you know, the the stock market and stuff like that. So, um, all these stories about, yeah, you you know, waste your money, you're, it's it's all going to be corrupt, it's all going to go away after a while, and and it's not worth it. You know, these were the stories that that I heard, and so it's it's awesome to see that that's not the case. And um, you know, so somebody looking to cryptocurrency now. You know, how, how is it that they can get started? Well, um, one, I mean, buying on Coinbase is the easiest way to get going. But, like, Bitcoin, you know, is pretty much seen, created most of its millionaires, right? But, like, you have these smaller um, cryptocurrencies that are within the top 10 to 20 on the, the market index, Um where you can go and you can go to this website um, called uh, uh, coinmarketcap.com. And um, the like Ripple, that, that cryptocurrency that's used to send millions of dollars really fast that I told you about, that's right now worth 
20 cents a coin. So if you went and put like a couple hundred bucks on Ripple right now, and even, I mean, if Ripple, you know, turns into like another Bitcoin and even turns into like $500 a coin, then you're going to be happy that you bought it today at 20 cents a coin. Right. Um, There are a number of those in the top 10 where it's just like, it's not genius at all. It's just like, hey, this is really cheap and it's 10 cents. Like I could spend a couple hundred bucks on it and not think about it. And that's what happened with a lot of Bitcoin people. Like they had no idea. And um, all of a sudden, you know, they woke up one day as like, oh, that Bitcoin thing. All of a sudden, like I have a hundred thousand or I have a million, you know. Um, I had my, I have two, I have one investor in what I'm doing in Europe with cryptocurrency who about eight years ago met this young guy who was a part of the team for Ethereum, which is the second largest cryptocurrency in the world. And um, he was on an airplane and met him and the guy said, look, I I got this thing called cryptocurrency uh, and we're creating it. Um, My team is called Ethereum. And um, I don't have enough money for legal or um, accounting right now. And they had a good time chatting on the plane. And so the investor who was a lawyer and has an accountant friend was like, yeah, I'll do work trade. And like, (laughs) so he got all this cryptocurrency given to him when it was worth like less than a penny. Now Ethereum's worth like $200 on any given day about. Right. Two to $500. And um, he's totally retired. I mean, he retired from his day job and he never needs to really work again, but he's in blockchain and passionate about it. So he's, you know, working on blockchain projects. So, so how do you get the valuation of 27 cents with Ripple and 200 for Ethereum? I mean, where, where does that, where does that happen? Well, I mean, pretty much it, it's because people buy it. They, they buy it with their money. And, um, so so you know. it's strictly just like typical markets. It's the demand, and okay. <clears throat> so so what actually differentiates then Ripple from Ethereum as far as their product? I mean, why would somebody want Ethereum versus Ripple? I mean, what's what's the value? What's the real value in the in the difference in the real value besides the monetary one? So um, Bitcoin is strictly a currency. Um, Ethereum is a currency and a software platform. So um, Ethereum is used to make blockchain applications. Okay. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons, that's the big reason it's, it's number two, because for the blockchain to come into the world, you have to build the apps. And it's not regular programming because of that authentication and transparency that needs to happen between all the supercomputers. So it's a special kind of uh, coding. And then Ripple's like the banker coin because it's for sending massive transactions right. rapidly. Uh, um, you know, Ripple went into partnership with, um, they're making a lot of partnerships, but they went into partnership with Western Union. Like Western Union's going to start using Ripple to send money as well. So so, so clearly, I mean, there's, there's going to be major wealth transfers and maybe Ripple will be one of the primary vehicles for that to happen versus, say, Ethereum. A- interesting. Yeah. So, so let's let's change you know the conversation a little bit and, and and share with us you know why you're so excited personally and the kind of work that you're doing because you know I I've known you for a while and 
you get all excited and um, you're on an incredible you know journey and and in that conversation at some point want to talk about you know the difference between being an American and say European as far as being able to get started into this this world of Bitcoin yeah well okay there's this interesting loop so I'm super excited about crypto initially because I was sitting in front of a cave in Ireland um, back in um, 2017 where my family used to work um, as um, slate miners and I had a, a moment where I was just kind of praying to my ancestors uh, that I I could find something in my life that I could feel passionate about again and that drive because I, I kind of I worked for the UN for 10 years I was in Nepal, Afghanistan, East Timor all over the place, Cambodia um, and working for similar nonprofits and it was really frustrating because there is a lack of transparency and you know money would go missing I worked in the UN elections and ballot boxes would go missing you know um, and I was like you know what what am I going to do now and it's like I kind of lost hope working in the nonprofit world and watching the the elections in Afghanistan as an employee with a front row seat. You know, it was really disappointing. Um, there was a lot of, um, you know, it wasn't a free and fair election, which doesn't really exist anyway. But uh, so I was at this cave and I was like, you know, please show me the way. And then on the way back from Ireland, like days later, flying back to L.A., I, I stopped in the airport in Iceland waiting for a flight. And I got this email from this woman saying, hey, I know you do digital marketing. Could you come um, consult with us for a day? Because we're doing this Bitcoin conference. And I'm like, what? A Bitcoin conference? And like, it's that big now? So I went in when I landed in LA like a day later. And was like, no, Bitcoin's that big now? She's like, yeah, it's done over $450 billion in transactions over the past three months. And I was like, wow. wow. Yeah, okay, it's now. And then all of a sudden, like Bitcoin took me for a ride and I've been actively in the crypto space since then. I felt like that was an answer from my ancestors from that prayer at the cave. And like anytime when I kind of want to give up and run away, like something kind of strange and mystical happens and I'm pulled back into crypto. <laughs> um, but um, the thing is, um, I'm... I'm super excited about crypto because of the um, taking power back um, from the banks, one. Two, it's creating all this new um, opportunity for diversity. Like I see a lot of um, women and people of color um, going in to, to be business owners and to do different things that, you know, I know a lot of women, for example, they never thought they could do trading or um, talk about finance and all that, but now like Bitcoin's giving them this opportunity and they're like right. excited, like pouncing on it. Um, so, uh, that's exciting, but the tying it back to my work in my twenties for the UN and these other nonprofits because of the blockchain and how it's transparent and you can't, it's tamper proof is what they say. It's tamper proof. Um, it's perfect for elections. So, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh, I worked on the UN elections. I saw like all this crazy stuff going on with ballots and, and the ballot count and the missing boxes and corruption and even the threat of terrorism because Afghanistan has like pretty much no infrastructure. They had to um, 
take uh, donkeys with um, ballot boxes on their backs just to get the ballots out into the remote regions with like armed Afghan military like right. walking the donkeys through the mountains with the ballot boxes on their back. With the blockchain, because it's tamper-proof and it's digital, you could just set up the voting. You don't even need ballot uh, voting centers practically. You don't need the paper. You don't need the the ballot boxes. Like you know, elections in places like that especially cost billions. Like they had twenty planes, twenty-five planes, cargo planes flying back and forth between London and Kabul just to get all the election materials into Kabul that they couldn't make there. Imagine setting up an election on the blockchain. Like it would cost nothing. It would cost nothing. But what so, what guarantees do we have that it is tamper proof? I mean, in this world with you know incredible geniuses in the digital world. Yeah, you know, can't somebody just hack into it? Um, I mean, there's the Titanic, sure, but no one's managed to hack into it yet, and it's been it's been ten years. The only thing that people can hack into is websites. Right. No one's hacked the blockchain yet, but people hack into websites where people hold Bitcoin. So there's the difference there. Right. But the actual blockchain itself has not been hacked. And it's, it's, again, it's kind of down to that concept of when you have multiple brains that all have to be in agreement right. for a transaction to happen, that's, that's why it's, it's really... So, so you said something interesting. So people can obviously hack into websites. So let's say Ripple has their website. Somebody could hack into that website. You know, what protection do people have because of the blockchain itself? I mean, is there a protection because of the blockchain with that or you're still at the mercy of the transaction that happens in the actual private website well ripple the company doesn't hold its well as an example let's let's say so what can be hacked is if uh, someone has a password um for a crypto account like right. a like well, that's that's thing. like with anything then. I mean, they can just hack into your account and do whatever. Yeah, but it's very, very hard because now <clears throat> crypto, like you have to have um, uh, two-factor authentication. Right. right. Some people don't flip on the two-factor authentication um, on, on some of the crypto sites and they can get in trouble. But if they have a lot of money they and you're on some of these more complicated websites where you're trading crypto, Right. You'll know to put the 2FA on anyway, but okay. Coinbase, for example, makes you do the 2FA. What what the scarier thing that can happen is that um, your the the thing that's happened more is that people like uh, lose their phone for the 2FA or they forget a password. Like that's a much bigger problem than hacking. Right. So you have to like when you get crypto, like it's good to have like a backup paper copy of all your passwords, like right. in a safe. Or like no, you know, I tell my clients who have kids and they're older, I'm like, I'm sorry we have to talk about this, but if for some reason you pass away, you have to give someone in your family um the information, the access, um, just in case. But there are now um, products coming out for for that specifically like right you know actual companies where you can put your family in there just in case 
So, um, so what, what excites you about it personally? I mean, as far as the work that you're doing, I know you like the fact that it's decentralized, it's a global, it's transparent, you know, we have the power. So what's, what's your focus in this area? Um, two things, like one right now, like I, I do placement of uh, investors into cryptocurrency hedge funds, which are doing really well um, in these days because um, the ones I work with are using trading algorithms, which means it's robotic trading. Right. And the trading algorithms um, trade better than any human can. So it's kind of rapid fire trading, like they can do like 100 trades in a minute, you know, stuff like that. So the current like number one product that I'm working with um, has created 80% gains since January, which survived COVID, which is massive. Like it's not a hard thing to sell. Right. <laughs> Consider the um, traditional markets went down. Right. Um, is to be expected. But um, the other thing that's exciting for the long term for me, outside of doing the the trading algorithms, is that. Um, Blockchain technology is now being used to deliver um, food rations to refugees in places like Syria. So the UN started, has started doing this um, along with Oxfam and a few others. What happens is the, the funding from governments for the refugees will go through, you know, they give it to the UN, the UN goes, sets it up on the blockchain what happens is, um, you know, the funds are, are sent and the refugees will go to like a food supply, a store, a market, right? And they can do retina recognition for the issuance of funds and they can program in. So this is kind of the whole idea of the smart contract that I was talking about before. They can program in, these people are only allowed to buy X, Y, Z, you know, so food, beverages, they can't buy alcohol or stupid stuff, right? Right. And um, because it's a retina scan, they never even have to touch the funds. And uh, at the other end, because the money is documented, the, the crypto is documented the whole way through, you can see all the, everything that happens. Um, the donors know that the funds actually got to the refugees. And that's a massive problem in NGOs and human humanitarian efforts is that, you know, we lose billions every year to who knows where. And like right. people who actually need it don't get it. With crypto, you get the funds. No one can take it out unless it's, you know, what it's programmed for happens. Right. Like, oh, and so in Syria at the refugee camp gets food. They do the retina scan. They get their food. <laughs> like you so, so basically, so basically, right? So everybody yeah. has to register into the system, obviously, and and that's kind of hard to corrupt, you know. Unless, of course, you have like somebody holding a gun to your head, and and you do that. But then, of course, you couldn't do that because the other person yeah. would see it, right? Yeah. Right. You yeah, know. You let, can't. <laughs> yeah, unless, of course, you know, everybody was in on it at the one location. But still, you know, with the right kind of algorithms, that's just absolutely eliminated. Interesting. Yeah, and they're using it for um, food supply now. Like, I have a friend who set up 
um, something called um, AgriLedger, which is using um, cryptocurrency um, to um, pay farmers in, in the backwoods of Haiti. What happens is, um, you know, in a lot of places, like the farmers that no one sees at the front marketplace in the cities, they get taken and they lose a lot of money and like the prices are jacked up. They don't know the real prices of the food at the market in the city. And, and um, you know, the middlemen screw them over. But with the blockchain, and she put it, it, it was funded by the World Bank and it's actually now working and the farmers are actually getting like fair um, um, pay for their mangoes. They're doing it with the mango project. So, so, so let me ask you this because what goes through my hand right now is, is this, is that you know, so many people um, out there, and I have no idea what kind of percentage, but well, all of us are kind of wired for our own personal survival, however we define that. And so that might be translated into, you know, personal greed, you know, at the expense of others. And so this kind of shuts out that entirely from the equation. And so, you know, clearly people who have amassed large sums of money by this kind of unethical behavior have been able to get themselves into power in a position of power because you know money talks right mm -hmm. so how how is there any kind of projection as to how that's going to actually change in the future you know let's take a third world country as an example where you have these power lords because of money that they were able to amass through through corruption and bribery and and whatever and torture now that's going to be eliminated you know, what's the landscape going to change like? I mean, have you thought of that? Yeah, I mean, it's it, humans are always going to be humans at the end of the day. And it's not like the perfect end all, like, you know, we found heaven on earth kind of thing. But, um, you know, uh, once it's implemented a lot, there will be more. I, I think it, it will cause. Uh, and it already is through like even like the mango project I was talking about it will create a redistribution of wealth um, and I and power yeah they're always greedy yeah and power yeah so we could have decentralized government with this and I think that that's going to be the probably the hardest piece is the government's uh, letting it happen I mean the Pentagon came out with the report I, that um, uh, recently that uh, uh, millennials with Bitcoin are dangerous radicals, <laughs> Some, something along those lines. So to beware, beware the people with Bitcoin. Um, so, so let me ask you this. I mean, is, is this the prelude to globalization? And if that's the case, you know, who who's in charge? Um, well. I mean, globalization has been happening, and I think now, um, you know, people, well, people are fighting globalization, but it's happening regardless. Um, who is in charge in the world of Bitcoin? Um, I mean, the, the people holding the crypto are in charge of their money. Um, Will there be politicians in charge? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that's going away anytime soon. But I mean, we could see more localized government. Um, but yeah, um, I'm not really sure. 
it's like, it's hard to imagine, <laughs> but I see signs of it. Like, for example, you know, I used to travel around Asia in my 20s and as far as globalization and like a worldwide currency. And I, um, I, I traveled with cash. The UN paid me in cash. Um, it was hard to get bank accounts. So I, I pretty much didn't have a bank account for most of my 20s. But now because of um, products like um, TransferWise and cryptocurrency, I can travel in a safer way because I don't have thousands of dollars in my pocket. Right. right. <laughs> that's, that's exciting for me. And I'm pretty much a digital nomad where like, I understand that borders serve a purpose, but like for me, I'm like, borders what are you talking about like i'm a global citizen i've got friends everywhere like you know obviously i don't live in the country where i was born so i should be able to go where i want and have a global currency which, right. yeah which really is bitcoin so i think for the digital nomadic people um it makes a lot of sense right <clears throat> So, but I, I just want to get back to this idea because, I mean, on the one hand, when we talk about globalization, you know, sometimes it's, it seems like you'll have, you know, institutions like the UN, whatever, you know, trying to determine, you know, who gets what. And, you know, that's on the one hand a scary thought. But on the other hand, it almost seems like this decentralization where um, with this, you know, um, amount of transparency, it's going to be kind of hard to really um, hide. You know, the challenge, of course, is, you know, as, as we see, you know, all over the world, you know, who's got the loudest voice and who's got the loudest threatening voice. And yeah. so, so th this is, you know, unfortunate because then you, you'll have people for all sorts of, um, let's call it nefarious reasons, um, are shouting the loudest and and dulling the, the voices of the people that are doing good into fear. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, my hope is that there's enough people that understand how this decentralization can work effectively, where it's almost kind of what you're suggesting that at some point, you know, a lot will be governed by the local government. And, and in that way, um, hopefully, <laughs> right, with more compassion and logic and intellect versus, you know, personal greed because, because of that transparency. And so you'll get people in, in power because of who they are as human beings serving others versus you know the power that they actually have i mean your thoughts yeah i mean that's i it's what i would like to see personally i mean i, I fully believe in that and that it's going to help but um you know it's i think that i do believe that it's coming and look at covid and how it made us more localized in a number of ways so you know all of a sudden I have to get all my food from the farmer's store down the street. Right. And and I really want to support them, right? Like, I don't want to go to the big, like, food stores and support the, you know, the brands that are making food in other countries and shipping it in. Right. 
So, so and I think, think that, that with the distrust for big government, with the crumbling of money as we know it, which will happen more and more and more because the fintech revolution is massive, um, and the potential issues we have um, with the environment on a global scale, we could see more um, unfortunately, we might see another pandemic in our lifetimes, right? Oh, we definitely um, will. Yeah. So um, I think that is going to, well, it will uh, topple a big centralized government more and more, which is too bad we had to come to this point to figure it out. But <laughs> what I find really fascinating is, and I'm not even sure the academics have really caught up because it's such an it, quickly evolving uh, thing that's happening in the world with you know the transfer of so much information uh, very quickly and when you think about it there's seven billion people on the planet um, but there's over nine billion cell phones which means that people in very remote places people with without you know the regular kinds of technologies but they have a cell phone and we can manage our entire lives on the cell phone so anybody who wants to start a business if they have a cell phone they can do that yeah and, and so what's going to be very interesting is is how that's really going to evolve over the next 10 or 20 years and I think it's going to be you know very uh, dramatic you know particularly with things like Bitcoin and stuff like that because it's going to completely change the the, the who has the power and, and my hope you know on the one hand with access with so much information that you can also verify and and that's also changing how how the the media is going to be um you know um how should i put it how the how we will get the the information from what sources we're going to get that information and i think that's going to change dramatically too and that's also going to be decentralized so you don't have all these monoliths who are able to um, spin the information and we have no ability to verify it and I think that's going to change as well and so when <coughs> you have a decentralization of money and you have a decentralization of information um, it gives the power back to the people now it's just within the realm of the individuals um, agency to make the right decisions and, and hopefully there'll be enough people out there that will help guide that. And that's kind of some of the work that I'm doing as well. You know, how do you guide people to make you know, the best decisions for themselves? Because as Abraham Maslow said, you know, there's, there's no um, bad people on this planet. I mean, we're either good or we're neutral. Uh, our behavior might be bad, but deep down fundamentally, we're either good or neutral. Yeah. And our behavior is based on, you know, what we've learned about the morality that we've learned and accepted. Now that morality is different, I mean, depending on what you've learned. And so with the access to real-time information, as long as we don't, you know, allow people to um, change history, right, um, which can't happen because there's going to be so much information out there. And with things like Bitcoin, I mean, we're going to see some pretty amazing changes. Yeah, yeah I even I know somebody, somebody who's working on like a blockchain, blockchain project, project to 
um, create access to like verified information in the media. She was a, a journalist for The Economist when she was 20. Um, so, uh, I, you know, it's, there's a lot of possibility with the, the technology to, to do that. So I'm excited to see how that evolves, but it's, you know, it's, it's a long journey and the people in blockchain and cryptocurrency now are definitely the pioneers and it's, it's definitely going to take time. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's changing the pillars of society and, and how the world functions. Yeah. So to be here at the beginning, it's like, you know, we're not going to see all the results, but you know, 10 years from now, will definitely be more different and more of a blockchain world. Um, but, but yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a slow, slow walk, walk. <laughs> but so we, the people who are in it are visionary and we're like, uh, like, we just, you know, we, we want to see, see that world. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I never, you know, saw it from that perspective. And so I'm certainly fascinated and, and this is why I do what I do, you know, with my podcast series is really, you know, tapping into that collective genius of, of our collective wisdom of others, because you know, we, we need to come to this place, to the space where, you know, we could work together. I, I think there's there's a mutual benefit all the way around. And, you know, you know, unfortunately, when you are driven by fear, by scarcity, um, by disempowering emotions or, and feelings or states, <coughs> you're going to do things that are just self-serving and harmful to others. And my experience with the, the Waitaha as an example, this is the indigenous tribe in in New Zealand. You know, their, their, their mindset is do no harm. And so when we can come to that place of consciousness and, and respect for others, and uh, you don't have to agree with people, it's just don't do any harm, don't, don't hurt people. You, you know, diversity is a great thing. We can agree to disagree, but we have to work together. And I think collectively, you know, we can do that. And with these kinds of tools, um, we're going into a whole, whole different world. So I want to wrap up with one quick question because you only have a few more minutes left. And that is this, is that um, as, as uh, Americans, you know, how, how do we get involved with, with Bitcoin? Um, and I know there's some restrictions in this country. So as Americans, you can buy Bitcoin. <coughs> directly off of like coinbase.com and, and other sites um but to actually um go into a uh into what i do where it's more like kind of the hedge fund world um you pretty much uh have to go with funds that are either kind of based in the cayman islands or uh, you have, have to be an accredited investor, which is super frustrating. It's funny because I have a company that supports people with crypto trading and I can't myself have my funds traded in what I'm offering because I'm an American. <laughs> so is that gonna change? Sorry, what? Is that gonna be changing anytime soon? Well, well, I mean, I, I will be an Irish citizen very soon. Um, I don't know if I'll keep my American citizenship after that happens, but I'm not 100% interested in keeping it, so we'll see. I have to I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. But 
I could also, you know, become an accredited investor in America one day and then go into the funds. But I just, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that system. So, right. I hear you. All right. So we're going to wrap it up. Um, share with us your, your last words of wisdom. Um, I think right now is a really uh, an amazing opportunity um, to grow as a civilization, as a family, a global family. Like it's an amazing opportunity for growth and even on like kind of individual levels. So I think the most important thing that I think about and that I want to share with people is to not let this time get you down. So I think staying positive is a big part of, of winning and, and coming out on top after we get through this tunnel. Great. Well, Aaron, I really want to thank you uh, for this yep. uh, amazing interview. And, you know, what I'm taking out of this, and and it's, it's a new dimension for me, is that, that ability to use technology to allow for this decentralization of the power and so that you know we can come into our own and and really have the improved or enhanced ability to determine our own lives and and this is you know very exciting for me when when i started on my journey about 20 years ago into this you know world of <clears throat> thought leaders i realized then that what needs to happen is is what i call the 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 revolution of the individual not not you know groups of people but the individual evolution which means the individual evolution of of your own mind and an understanding oneself and one's one's uh, model of the world and position in the world and to become a, the best version of oneself and with access to these kinds of tools that's going to be able to happen and so super excited to understand more of what you do and super excited to um, see what's going to happen and be part of part of that process in, in my own unique way. So I'm Dr. Bart Rademacher, and this is Prescription for Your Transformation, Real People, Real Conversations, and Real Success. And really want to thank you for joining me today, Aaron, and I will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Dr. Rademacher's Prescription for Transformation. Join Dr. Bart Rademacher live right here on StarWorldWideNetworks.com or on demand 24-7.